the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Ask the Lawyer with Mike Connors. Got questions concerning elder or state law? Attorney Mike Connors has the answer. He was recognized as one of New York's top lawyers by New York Magazine and brings over 30 years' experience to the table. His office number is 718-238-6500. That's 718-238-6500. Here's Mike Connors. We are gathered here on hallowed ground. Horses raised, heads bowed down. Welcome to Ask the Lawyer with me, Mike Connors. This week, we're accompanied by my wife, Beth. Hi, everybody. And attorney, Josias. Hi, everybody. This is Josias Karim. You know, this show, again, is about estate planning. Elder law, the idea behind estate planning is to pass assets from one generation to the next, paying the least amount in taxes we need to pay legally, avoiding going to court, avoiding probate. So what are our email questions this week? All right. Well, the first one I'm going to read is, can you create an LLC? For a piece of real estate? That is a very good question. Yes, you can. Now, I I probably should backtrack just a little bit. What is an LLC? An LLC is a limited liability company. Ordinarily, not necessarily the only thing we do with it, we put investment real estate in an LLC, limited liability company. It protects that asset from lawsuits, both, you know, if somebody sues you, let's say you have a building. You put it in an LLC, there's a fire. God forbid somebody's crippled in the fire. They sue you. They can... If the building's properly registered in an LLC, they can't sue you personally. They can only sue the LLC. And and if LLC, if you have different members, in a lot of cases, you can protect those assets from lawsuits inside and out. The other good thing about an LLC, if let's say for advanced estate planning, if you're going to transfer some of the assets to your children, we can use an LLC. You know, you have a deed to a property. But let's say our gift plan has you're going to give one percent of the property each year to your children. Well. You don't want to write a deed each year for 1% interest. I mean, it's a little awkward. You can do an LLC, and from the LLC, give them 1% a year. And and it's a very effective tool for estate planning purposes. And yes, the LLC, the managing member of the LLC, the ownership of the LLC can be in the trust. And if you own half the property, can you put half your, um, half the property, you know, you own half with your brother, your brother doesn't want to do an LLC, you can put your half in an LLC. So yes, did I answer that question uh, completely there, Beth? I think so. It was a, it was a fairly simple, and it sounds like it, you might have a couple of siblings or cousins or friends that own a piece of property, and one might want to just put an L- their portion in. Yeah, an LLC. ideally, if you have an LLC, if you have a property and you have an LLC, let's say you have two brothers owning it, you probably want to put both of them in the LLC, and one brother's trust would own half of the LLC, and the other brother's trust would own the other half of the LLC. Now, each week, Kevin McCullough, on his show, which runs Monday through Friday on 570 The Mission at 3 o'clock, 
He also then runs on 970 The Answer at 5 o'clock Monday through Friday. But on Wednesdays, he has an extra hour starting at 4 because he's sharing the 5 o'clock hour with John Katsimatidis. So each week, Kevin chooses a question from the emails and asks it for his audience. Hi, Kevin McCullough. Every Thursday, we talk with Mike Connors and try to get one of your questions answered as it relates to your estate care and elder law. Uh, Mike, this week's question comes from Mary. My 50-year-old husband died suddenly. We have four children together. We never thought at our age we needed to be prepared for death. Our house was only in his name, and we didn't have a will. I'm exhausted thinking about how to fix this moving forward. How do you help this person, Mike? Well, you know, I... This would be, you know, the the classic, I told you so, everybody should have a will. A lot depends on how old the children are. Um, if they don't want to sell the house, we don't have to do anything right away. You know, mom can live in the house or whatever. If the children are under the age of 18 to sell that house, we're going to have to go to court and need a court order to do so uh, since there's no will. And if the children are under 18. Now, if the children are over 18, Everybody can get together and do some kind of agreement or deal or whatever. And of course, I hope he doesn't have children from a prior marriage who may not be cooperative. And so that uh, that just adds to the headaches uh, that they've got. But this this really illustrates, uh, Mike. I mean, this kind of hits home for me because I'll be fifty next year. Uh, this is why uh, you, you you get your stuff in order so that uh, you don't have right. to go through these things. Right. I mean, there, there, there is a problem. If one of those children at 50 years old is good shot, one of those children are under the age of 18, they, the children own half the house collectively. The four children own half the house, and that's assuming, she says, we have four children together. Right. If there's a child from prior marriage, that child from the prior marriage owns part of the house. So there's a claim on all of it. And, friends, this is why you need to be prepared. It is so vital that you talk through uh, what you need to do in advance. And that's why I love to tell you about uh, Connors and Sullivan. They do it better than anybody else. Their peers say so. And here's the number to connect you with them today, 718-238-6500, 718-238-6500. You can also drop a question to Mike Connors. He'll answer one each week here on Kevin McCullough Radio. And then he asks, uh, answers a bunch of them on his own broadcasts, uh, Saturday morning at 8 on AM 570, The Mission, and Sunday mornings at 11 on AM 970, The Answer. Mike Connors, thanks so much. Thank you, Kevin. Our next question, Josias, what, what's our next question? Okay, Mr. Connors. So the next question is from Tom, okay? And Tom asks, what can I do when my parents excluded me from their will? Okay, well, uh, Josias, I don't think you've met him yet. You will probably in the near future. But there used to be an attorney who used to work here named Ed Dorney. And in the words of Ed Dorney, he would say, get a job. Now. <laughs> we love Ed. Yeah, sarcasm was his middle name, although I think his middle name was Roscoe. <laughs> now, you know, in theory, in the United States, anybody can write a will saying whatever they want. There's no obligation that you have to name a child in your will. None whatsoever. Now, a spouse unless you sign a prenuptial agreement or a separation agreement or something like that, always has a right to put a claim in against your estate. So in some respects, it's very difficult to disinherit a spouse. In theory, in New York, you can disinherit a child. Now, at the same time, you have a right to contest the will. What can you contest the will on? Was your parent, were they mentally competent? Did somebody put pressure on them? And, you know, was the will a forgery in some cases? And it happens. You know, people start forging documents. All those things might be at play, but if your parents, and when you say parents, it's hard to believe if you have two parents that both of them deliberately 
want to exclude you. They're not mentally competent. But again, are your parents mentally competent? Is anybody putting pressure on them to force them to sign the will where they're, it's not their will, it's somebody else's will? Uh, it was the will properly signed. And, you know, in today's world with the, with the Internet and printing up wills off the Internet, not all the wills are properly signed, and that might give somebody who objects to a will an opening. Uh, you know, a will's not just a writing. You fill out the form and it looks good and that's fine. No, a will is a writing witnessed by two people who are willing to testify in court that they witnessed a will in accordance, signed in accordance with the laws of the state of New York. But ordinarily, under the law, anybody can write a will, say whatever they want. You have the right to contest if you think there's something funny, but I wouldn't do it lightly. Now, as most of you know, the second part of the show, we talk about politics, history, religion. We're going to focus on history today and two very different parts of history. We're going to be talking about Gettysburg with Larry Korchek about he's going to be at the Civil War Roundtable talking about some of the top 10 events during the Battle of Gettysburg, which, you know, every once in a while somebody comes into our office, they see all the Civil War miniatures and say, hey, have you ever been to Gettysburg? And Beth, what's the answer to that question? Oh, yes. Many <laughs> times we have been to Gettysburg. Right. We, we go to see our friend Pat Falsey. We've been we've seen him several times. We saw Newt Gingrich. We have seen people, oh, there is this marvelous store that takes things from estates on consignment. Every time we have to, you spend hours in this store. An hour, maybe not hours. Hours and hours. But there are, I don't know, I love Gettysburg because it's real. The houses are still there. There are a whole bunch of houses that are still there from the time you can walk the battlefield. Um, it's an incredible experience, even though I do fuss at you sometimes, but it is an incredible experience. So at the next Civil War Roundtable, we're going to be talking about Gettysburg with Larry Korchek, who is a battlefield guide at Gettysburg, which is not an easy thing to do. So our meeting is going to be on November 13th, Wednesday, November 13th at the 3 West Club, 3 West 51st Street. It's open to the public. Cost for members is $60. For non-members, it's $75. But not only do you get a lecture, we get a three-course meal and a first-class establishment at the 3 West Club. Dinner starts at 6. Doors open at 5.30. But you got to call for reservations. I can't stress that enough. you got to call for reservations. 718-341-9811. 718-341-9811. We're going to be taking a short break. We'll be back in a couple of minutes with... Ask the lawyer. How can I protect my family if something happens to me? What if I need to go to a nursing home? What will happen to our savings, our home? What's the best way to give my home to my kids? Who will help us take care of Grandpa? These and many other questions can be answered with a phone call to Connors & Sullivan Attorneys at Law, PLLC, 718-238-6500. Mike Connors, one of New York Magazine's top lawyers, has over 30 years of estate planning and elder law experience. Mike and his team of professionals will help you protect your assets from pro probate, taxes, and nursing home costs so you can have peace of mind knowing you and your family will be taken care of and protected. I'm Mike Connors, founder of Connors & Sullivan. People don't plan to fail, they fail to plan. The time to plan is now. I'm Beth Connors. Call today for a free initial consultation with one of our experienced lawyers. Connors & Sullivan in Brooklyn, Queens, Manhattan, and Staten Island. Call 718-238-6500. 718-238-6500 or Connors sullivan.com do you have somewhere to sleep did you eat today are you making ends meet 
For thousands of New Yorkers, the answer is no. For children and youth, adults, seniors, people struggling with addiction or mental illness, and for the isolated, Catholic Charities of Brooklyn and Queens is there. With 160 programs and more than 4,500 units of affordable housing, Catholic Charities is one of the largest multi-service charitable organizations in the nation. We help change lives and build communities. If you or someone you know needs assistance, call 718-722-6001 or visit ccbq.org. Time now for Connor's Corner, where Mike takes a closer look at topics like history, politics, religion, and more. Here's Mike. Welcome to the Connor's Corner segment of Ask the Lawyer. November 13th, 3 West Club, 3 West 51st Street. Civil War Roundtable of New York is going to be meeting, and we're going to be talking to our next guest, Larry Korchuk, who has he's co-authored a book, The Top Ten at Gettysburg. Larry, what what's the premise of the book? Top Ten is like David Letterman, or what are we doing? Yeah, what had taken place is that our eventual editor and co-author, Jay Jurgensen, had been driving home to New Jersey from Gettysburg. And uh, for some reason, he was talking about uh, David Letterman and that top 10 list, that section that he always had. And uh, he said, boy, that way, that would be an excellent format for a book. So what he did is he contacted me and several other fellow licensed battlefield guides and historians and proposed the project, and uh, I immediately jumped on board. I thought it would be an outstanding idea. Well, let's step back a second. What is your background as a Gettysburg guide? Yeah, uh, let's see. Well, um, I worked in New Jersey for 30 years as a lo- in logistics and uh, distribution, but always with a strong love of history. And uh, I, my first visit to Gettysburg was in 1990, and sometimes I think I never left. I immediately fell in love with the place, and uh, I began studying uh, and reading voraciously on the Battle of Gettysburg. And then um, when I started going back, each and every time, I'd hire a licensed battlefield guide in order to uh, tour the battlefield. And, well, I finally figured out, you know, I could probably save a little money if I became a guide myself. (laughs) So um, around uh, 2012, I started studying Strongly for the uh, exam that's administered by the National Park Service. And uh, fortunately, uh, I passed the written exam in December of 2012. And then in uh, 2013, March, I was able to pass the oral exam and uh, I was licensed. And I've been guiding ever since that time. Now, my understanding is it's, it's a very hard test. It is a very difficult test. It's a very comprehensive test. Just not the Battle of Gettysburg, but the entire American Civil War even the antebellum period and the reconstruction period. So, yes, it is a very difficult test. Uh, I've had a couple of uh, friends of mine who are lawyers say that it is more difficult than passing the bar. I guess so, it depends yeah, what state you're wanna passing. Get, they want to <laughs> get, get guys that can get the story right. So it's a very strong exam. Absolutely. All right. So top 10 at Gettysburg. What are some of the lists? And what are you going to be talking about at the Three West Club? Yeah. Uh, what, what had taken place is that each co-author was uh, to come up with five lists of, uh, t- of top 10 uh, incidents at the Battle of Gettysburg. And my five involved my uh, top 10 artillery actions, my top 10 infantry actions, uh, top 10 civilian accounts. Uh, my top 10 favorite places on the battlefield, and last, my top 10 favorite monuments on the battlefield. And I uh, put together a list of 10 items for each list and uh, expounded upon it. So that's what uh, that's basically what the book is composed of. Some people are out there who are not Civil War buffs saying, how can you get the 10, what, what 10 most important infantry actions? Well, let, let me put it this way. This is, this is not objective. This is 
completely subjective on my part. And each author has his own uh, view on what are the top 10 for each subject that he'll be covering. These are my top 10 favorite uh, infantry actions, artillery actions, monuments, and so forth. It's completely subjective. And hopefully uh, it stirs the pot a little bit. Get people thinking just about uh, what would their top 10 be for the specific subject. What are your favorite monuments? What, what are part of the top 10 monuments? Yeah, my favorite monument, uh, my very favorite monument is a monument to the 88th Pennsylvania. The 88th Pennsylvania would fight on the first day of battle. And their monument today rests on Oak Ridge, part of the battlefield for the day one fight. But also several of my other favorites are the Louisiana Memorial, which was dedicated at Gettysburg in 1971. The North Carolina Memorial, uh, dedicated in 1929. And uh, one uh, regiment from New Hampshire, the 5th New Hampshire. So those are just four of my uh, top ten favorites. What makes them your favorites opposed to any other yeah, monument? Uh, yeah, I, I would say really what really grabs the attention of a reader and even uh, my guests that tour the battlefield is the story surrounding the soldiers that fight for a particular fighting unit. It's really the stories of the men that resonate with my visitors. And uh, I, that's why I uh, particularly picked these monuments uh, for the men who fought for that particular fighting unit. Infantry actions? Right. What's your favorite? What's the what's one of the top ten? Which is the yeah, number one? Yeah, one of my, my top ten favorite infantry actions is an action that also takes place on July 1st between a regiment of North Carolinians, the 26th North Carolina, uh, versus uh, a Union regiment from Michigan, the 24th Michigan. They're going to have a very short, violent fight that lasted at most about 30 to 40 minutes. But in that short time, that 26th North Carolina uh, Confederate Infantry Regiment, they will lose 588 of their 800 men, including 14 men who carried the flag, those color bearers, even including their commanding officer who at one point had picked up that fallen flag only to be mortally wounded. So that's the North Carolina story, and it's going to fight uh, against those boys from Michigan, the 24th Michigan, about 496 men. And in that same period of time, they lose 363 men. So I think uh, it's a story of incredible bravery and sacrifice of these uh, soldiers from the north and the south. Can you go through those numbers again and the number of men involved and the number of casualties? Yeah, yeah. That's, it's 588 of the uh, of the 800 men that they bring into the fight on the afternoon of July 1st that they will lose in a very short period of time. A short, violent fight in a woodlot on the west side of town versus those Michigan boys who lose those 363 men out of their 496 men. Yep. You know, sometimes when you go through those numbers, they're, they're mind-boggling. They're, they're absolutely staggering. Yeah. But I think it shows the intensity of the combat at the Battle of Gettysburg and the incredible bravery and, once again, the sacrifice of these soldiers. I read this once. I'm not sure it's true. But in Napoleonic times, if a unit lost 10 percent of its fighting strength, they would usually they'd usually disintegrate. Absolutely. Absolutely. But I can give you a story at the Battle of Gettysburg. Uh, the 24th Michigan was actually part of a brigade of Union soldiers known as the Iron Brigade, one of the most famous fighting units for the Union Army during the uh, American Civil War. Uh, they were composed of three regiments from, Mich from uh, I'm sorry, Wisconsin, one regiment from Michigan, and one from Indiana. 
and they're going to bring a little over uh, 1,848 men into the fight. And on July 1st alone, they lose 68% of their men. So you talk about 10 to 15%. Can you imagine a, a brigade of soldiers losing 68% of their men? It's absolutely staggering once again. Do you have the Minnesota Regiment in there? Oh, absolutely. The first Minnesota. Are you partial to the Minnesota boys? Well, you know, I got a Norwegian in the room right now. Okay. Well, <laughs> uh, the Minnesota boys will uh, make a very valiant charge on the early evening of July 2nd towards 7.30 p.m. Uh, they're 262 men strong, and they're going to charge upon a, a body of Confederate soldiers, uh, Alabama boys, uh, over 1,100 men strong. And they will be asked to sacrifice themselves so that a Union commander can get time to move more Union reinforcements to a specific spot on Cemetery Ridge. And the Minnesota boys will make that charge. And they will stun the Alabamans. They will buy that time. In fact, it was said that uh, many of the Alabama boys wrote afterwards, it seemed as if the Minnesota boys had literally burst out of the smoke. They will buy that time for that commander to be able to get more reinforcements to seal a breach in the Union line. But at the end of the day, when the first Minnesota reassembles out of their 262 men, all they've got left are 47 men. They've lost 82% of their charges in this charge. So one of the extreme sacrifices here at the Battle of Gettysburg. Yeah, again, those numbers are just staggering when you, when you consider it. Absolutely. And that's, it's, it's throughout the three days of battle. All three days of battle, these different Union and Confederate regiments and brigades making these incredible sacrifices. What's your favorite Gettysburg story? The one, uh, you know, your favorite story that's in the book? Yeah. Uh, my favorite story surrounds a commander, the one-time commander of the 5th New Hampshire. His name is Colonel Edward Cross. At the Battle of Gettysburg, he is now their brigade commander, with, of which the 5th New Hampshire is a part. Well, Colonel Edward Cross had a very unusual habit each time he would go into combat. He would reach into his satchel, pull out a red bandana, and tie that around his head. But in the first two years of war, he has been wounded 11 times. He wanted his men to see him in combat. I think the problem is the enemy was fully <laughs> able to see him, too, which may account for those 11 wounds. Well, as his uh, brigade, of which the 5th New Hampshire is a part, is marching to Gettysburg, Colonel Edward Cross has a premonition of death. No surprise. He's been wounded 11 times up to this point. Okay. Well, he's going to be told uh, late afternoon on July 2nd that his brigade is going to go into combat. So what he does, he reaches into his satchel. But this time, instead of pulling out that red bandana, he pulls out a black banana. He still has that premonition of death. And very early on in the fighting at a place called the Wheatfield at Gettysburg, he's going to be wounded for a 12th time. Somewhat superficial, he remains in command. But at one point, his brigade is getting literally shot to pieces by some Georgia boys. And he wants them to make a charge at the point of the bayonet. So he's going to work his way over to his old regiment, the 5th New Hampshire. And just as he's about to give the bugler the order to sound the charge, a Confederate soldier will step out from behind a boulder, fire a shot. It will enter the belly, bone, belly button of Colonel Edward Cross, pass through his back 
It is a mortal wound. It is wound number 13. He will die in agonizing death. But his last words were, I hope the boys will miss me. And he would expire. So that's, that's one of my favorite stories at the Battle of Gettysburg. That, once again, the incredible bravery and sacrifice of these men. Now, here we are. It's more than 150 years since the Battle of Gettysburg. Why is it still important to study? Why are you so fascinated by the battle? I think there's, I think there's really three reasons why Gettysburg is that pivotal battle of the American Civil War. Number one, over the course of three days of combat, 168,000 men will fight at the Battle of Gettysburg. 93,000 Union soldiers, approximately 75,000 Confederate soldiers. And after three days of combat, and I'll suggest perhaps the most horrific to date, it will result in over 51,000 casualties. Casualties being those soldiers who are killed, wounded, uh, become a prisoner of war, or simply go missing. So immediately in these terms, this is one of the largest but the bloodiest battle of the entire American Civil War. So there's reason number one for its importance. Reason number two, after three days of combat, it will result in a victory for the United States forces, the federal forces over the Confederate forces. And the Union victory at Gettysburg, coupled with another one taking place almost simultaneously, about 800 miles to the west, a little river town in Mississippi called Vicksburg. Then General, future President, Ulysses S. Grant, will capture 30,000 Confederate soldiers at the siege of Vicksburg. So these twin Union victories, Gettysburg, Vicksburg, electrifies the North. It's considered a decisive turning point in the American Civil War, where the fortunes turn against the Confederate forces, particularly in the Eastern Theater, where a Confederate general has been winning battle after battle after battle, that's General Robert E. Lee. Finally, at the Battle of Gettysburg, he's been defeated. So there's reason number two. And reason number three, just four and a half months after the battle, Abraham Lincoln comes to Gettysburg to deliver his immortal Gettysburg address. So I think it's really these three reasons to continue to draw visitors to Gettysburg National Military Park. Let's say somebody's out there and they're, they're not the Civil War buff that some of us are, and they, they want to learn right. more about Gettysburg and the battle. Where, where would you point them? What direction? I would highly recommend that that guest visit the Gettysburg National Military Park Museum and Visitors Center, and there they can hire a licensed battlefield guide to take them out on a personal tour of the battlefield, covering all three days of battle within the comforts of their own vehicle, but also getting out at many times to see the field of battle, see what these soldiers would have fought. I think there's no better way to learn about this battle than to be on the ground and see where these men fought, okay? While you're at that uh, at the Battlefield Museum, you may want to take a look at the Slykorama. Do you want to explain that to the audience? Oh, absolutely. I've, the Cyclorama is an amazing program. What it is, it's, uh, it's a, a painting, 377 feet in round, four stories in height. It's accompanied by a light and sound show. It depicts the famous charge on July 3rd. We know as Pickett's Charge, that last desperate attempt of Lee's army to gain victory at Gettysburg and perhaps gain Southern independence. So it depicts that famous charge of those 12,000 Confederate soldiers across a thousand yards of open ground the entire time under murderous Union artillery fire, 
just to reach the Union lines. And then the Union Army is there waiting for them. So it's an incredible program not to be missed if you come to Gettysburg National Military Park. Larry, thank you for bringing history to life. We're going to see you on November 13th at the Three West Club. Outstanding. Looking forward to it. I'm, it's a great honor for me to be able to speak before the New York Civil War Roundtable. It really is. So thank you so much. We'll be honored to see you. If you're a homeowner age 62 or older and are finding it hard to pay off debt, or how about enjoying your retirement years with less stress? A government-insured reverse mortgage may be the answer or might be the perfect solution for you and your family. Hi, this is Frank Melia, a certified mortgage planner. I've been a mortgage specialist for over 20 years, and I've helped countless homeowners all over the tri-state area tap into a little or a lot of their home equity so they can use it right now. This past October, the federal government made changes to the reverse mortgage loan program. Give me a call now so our office can show you how these changes affect how much money you receive and how the annual mortgage insurance costs have decreased. My job is to help you find the best solutions for your retirement goals. I do this by educating homeowners with straightforward information and answers. It's free to call and speak with me, Frank Melia, to determine if this FHA program might be able to help you and your loved ones now. Call and speak with me right now. I'll answer your questions and help you decide if a reverse mortgage is right for you and your family. Make the call now, 888-943-2646, or try me on the internet at www.quanticbank.com backslash fmelia. Once again, call 888-943-2646, and you could be on your way to a stress-free retirement. Frank Melia, NMLS number 62591. All loans provided by Quantic Bank, NMLS number 403503. Welcome to the Connors Corner segment of Ask the Lawyer. World War II really wasn't that long ago, and I think some people have forgotten some of the lessons of the war, but our next guest lived through it. She has a book out, Mindler's Journey, Memoir of a Hidden Child of the Holocaust. Mariette Bermowitz, welcome to Connor's Corner. Thank you very much. It's an honor to be here. <laughs> okay, so what is your book about? Well, I have, uh, I can read it from the back cover that I was a hidden child of the Holocaust. And in the back cover of the book, uh, I'll just read you the paragraph, which, which summarizes exactly. Okay. Is that okay? Uh, and it's, it says, a hidden child of the Holocaust struggles with identity and the meaning of her life. Marriott was four years old when her mother and four siblings were deported to concentration camps, and she was taken to a convent in the Belgian countryside. Reunited with her father in post-war Brussels was the beginning of her struggle to discover who she was. And the book is really um, a testimony or a testament to the people who saved me and, and my family, the loss of my family. And again, um, I came to America when I was 12 years old, and um, with my father, because I had uh, the rest of the family was had been annihilated, I had to leave all the wonderful people who the three sisters who who brought me up, who saved my life. So it was again um, leaving, the, you know, a separation from from uh, uh, from the people that I that I was connected to and that I loved. And we had a whole history together. I mean, I I was twelve years old when I left, and uh, so they were very much part of my life beginning of the war. Yes. You were living where? I was living in Brussels with uh, with my father, my three sisters, and my brother and mother. And uh, what happened is in 1942, in November of 1942, 
my three, my my uh, two sisters and my brother had already been picked up during. I, it must have been July of 1942, and I was still there with my mother and uh, my younger sister and um, my father. And my father was a tailor, and I happened to have been with him. And the tailor shop, the, his workshop, was in the attic. Above the apartment where we lived, we lived on the sixth floor, and and my mother had a baby. She was ten months old, so my father took me upstairs to play with the pieces of clothing that were, you know, that he was cutting up. When we heard, when we heard sounds, and what it was, we had been denounced as a Jewish family living in that uh, in that apartment. So my father had a choice: either he went back downstairs to be with my mother and the baby, or run. So there was a, a skylight, and there was a ladder. So we went up the ladder, and we went up uh, to, uh, to the, to the uh, rooftop, and that's how we saved our lives. And we ended up in Liège. We ran to the train, and we, 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 we just ran. All I remember, I was going to be four years old. This was uh, November 1942, and uh, I was going to be four years old in December. Okay, so you mm -hmm. went to Liège. What happened? Uh, what happened there, um, my father had family, my mother had family there, so we, we stayed, uh, in that, with that, with the family, hidden in the attic there, until there wasn't enough food for everybody, and there were a lot of other people hiding in the attic. And this was my, 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 my mother's cousin, who had married, uh, a, a Gentile woman, and her, one of her sons, had been, um, she had three sons. The oldest one, whose name was Joseph, had um, uh, decided to uh, align himself with the Nazis. Second one was in love with my sister, who was 20 years old, my oldest sister. And the youngest one was a, uh, worked for the underground, all in the same family. But the oldest one was uh, was married already with a Jewish girl uh, who was quite beautiful. And he, al he allowed us to have food because he was, because of his connection with the Nazi party, uh, called him the Rexist party. The Belgian Nazi party was called Rexist. He was able to give us food. What happened is that we d there wasn't enough food for everybody, so... Somehow they found, a, they knew of a priest, uh, Joseph, the oldest one, knew his, his wife knew of a priest who was finding refuge for Jewish children. Uh, they were sent to England. There was, the, 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 um, there was a whole, you know, a, a, um, an escape route through the north to England. And I was placed in a convent. And that's how I ended up in a convent for one year until that wasn't safe anymore either because the, the Germans knew that the nuns were hiding Jewish children. So um, the, the, the gatekeeper had warned the nuns. He said, you better find somewhere because there, there were no little girls in that convent. There was, there were, it was a school starting um, you know, up to the sixth grade when I was, very, I was four years old. So when the siblings, the three, the siblings of the mother superior came to visit, the mother superior asked them if they would take me back to the, their village in the Ardennes Mountains, a little village in the mountains, and they did. And, and they were these did. people? Well, they they were three school teachers 
who lived in this, in this wonderful little town called Friture, and, uh, which was in the valley. And on the main road was that Barak Friture, which was the crossroad between Germany, uh, Luxembourg, and France, which was the scene of one of the major battles of the war. It was Parker's Brigade. And what happened is in 1944, when the Americans came through Normandy, uh, they thought, you know, that the Germans had retreated. The Germans had not; re- they had not retreated. They, they were in hiding. They couldn't advance because there was no, uh, they had no opportunity to get gasoline. And Hitler, of course, said, "You either die or, you know." And what happened is the Germans ended up in this village in La Barque Friture. And the Germans were there waiting for them, and they were. It was a it was a major battle. But what happened is that I believe uh, Patton connected with all the different battalions throughout Europe and uh, sent them to Bastogne, and Bastogne was one of the the, the war, the, the battle rather that ended that really put an end to the Second World War. One hundred eighty thousand American soldiers died there, and not too many people know about Bastogne. They know of Omaha Beach, they know of Normandy, but how many people have really, you know, have really uh, recorded the, the, the impact of that, of that, uh, of, of Bastogne? Are you aware of Bastogne? Well, my, my friend, Mr. Connors and I are lovers of history because um, I love people. You love your family, you know, where were they? in history and Mike's father was um a World War II soldier in Europe and um of course he um he was not at Bastogne when did he end up there well he ended up in combat in February 1945 you know at the Rhine crossings yeah and um but i mean the battle of the bulge and you know just uh, once they got beyond the beaches of normandy it was not over no so um and uh, you know the germans are are now fighting on their home for their for their homes and it was just awful you know we we've we've spoken about it so often the world war 1 and then world war 2 i mean europe was devastated, mm-hmm. devastated, mm-hmm. and as you spoke earlier, how how one family can have so many different um, traumas. Yeah, yeah. Marion, one of the things, you know, in your book, did you ever encounter a German officer in person? Yes. Can you tell us that story? Well, that story um, was when the Germans came to the town where that little town, Friture, where, where I was hiding, uh, the Germans came, the, the three late women, whom I call the, my, my aunts, my tantes, went to stay with the priest because their house had been damaged. And so we all went to live in the rectory with the priest. And the German, the Herr Commandant, came to the rectory because the priest had information on all, you know, uh, the records of everybody in town. So he came to speak to the priest, and he wanted to see everybody in the household. So the three tantas came down, the priest, and there was I. And um, I was hiding behind the priest's robes, and the officer said, Who is that? That looks like a Jewish child to me, because, you know, dark. everybody was blonde, blue eyes. <laughs> there I was. With, 
And uh, uh, one of the tantas said, well, she was, she's an orphan. We don't have any papers for her. She's an orphan. We found her wandering. And the German, the officer, went into his pocket, took a candy, and gave it to me. Oh, my goodness. He knew. He knew. He knew. He knew. Yeah. So, and uh, my tante said, when the, at the very beginning, when the Germans came through, they were all young German soldiers, and they, had, they carried pictures of their families. Right. And most of them were Catholics. Right. And Hitler wanted them dead. Yeah. You know, yeah. he didn't want to have any believers. He just wanted right. to have... Right. Uh, he wanted to control the whole, the whole, sh- the whole show, the Germany, and if you had a believer, a Catholic, with a you know, he didn't want them. Let me let me ask you something. Mm-hmm. After the war, how did you find about? How did you find out about your family? What happened to them? Oh my God! Uh, very interesting question. I I uh, we, my father didn't talk about it. My father came, to, he found me after the war, actually he came towards the, when, when the Germans were still around, right before the Battle of the Bulge, he had, he came, he found me, he knew where I was in the convent and he walked with the woman that he was with in hiding, he walked and found me and, and uh, just to see that I was alive. And I have a red patch on my left leg and made, made sure he had put it there, just before you know, we separated to make sure that if he ever found me again, he knew that I was his child. So anyway, he came and uh, he, he was. I remember that very, very well. He was crying left and right. <laughs> and um, after the war, he he came to get me, of course. And um, I went back to Brussels with him. I was six years old, and we never spoke about it. Never. It was only after, later on, and it's, that's why I wrote a book, that I went on a search to find my family. And um, they took me to Israel, to Brazil, to Belgium. And of all things, my mother's name, maiden name was Singler. It never occurred to me to look in the phone book. And I found Max, there you go, his son of my mother's cousin in the phone book. Oh, my goodness. And that took me on a quest because he had all, a lot of answers. Okay. Why did you write the book? Uh, <laughs> I, I, I had to give a voice to my family. I had to... Uh, my three tantas were, were um, awarded the, the medals for the um, Yad Vashem, the rescue, people who res- rescued the Gentiles who rescued Jews. Right. I wanted to, um, I think, if enough people read this book to see that there are incredible human beings in the world. Right. Uh, and I wanted to, to leave a legacy. I don't have, there are no, no cemeteries, no headstones to go to, so this is it. But also, I mean, you can, if people read it, it, it it's the prayer that things like this don't happen again. They will. I know. They will. That's why this is written. Perhaps I, I, I've always been an optimist. Um, and, and as I, I, I travel, I just came back from six weeks in Europe, and I really don't like what I hear. Oh, no. Uh, yeah. There's a, yeah. an awful lot of anti-Semitism in France. Well, it's, it's when you were talking about the Catholics, um, 
it's against all faith, people of faith. It's here. You know, it's in the United States now. I know. People of faith are under attack. So, again, if you can, the, the name of the book and where can they buy it? Where can the audience it's buy Amazon, it? It's on Amazon. It's on Amazon.com. Okay. And all you have to look for, it, it has wonderful reviews. Mm-hmm. It's Mindela's Journey, Memoir of a Hidden Child of the Holocaust. And it was actually published in 2012 and uh, self-published. So I'm still looking for to get it published so that it can be in, library, in the bookstores. Mm-hmm. It's been translated into French, and we're working on it getting published in, uh, in France. Uh, I also give the book to somebody who makes films. He has it. He thought it was absolutely wonderful. Mm-hmm. Not the whole thing, but, you know, we, we, he can write a scenario. So I think that things happening with this book, and wonderful. it has to... It's 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 um it's it's very challenging and I think that it's uh, well worth reading because it's written from the heart and it's you know it's there's actually no sentimentality it's just uh, you know we have um it's inspirational I think for people who have gone through no child who goes through war is left unscathed no child and what's happening in the world today is just unfathomable because of all the things that have happened before. So somehow, do we learn anything? Uh, I'm not going to answer that. I'm just... Uh, you don't know. You just... You pray that it won't happen again. It's more than praying. I think we have to act. Well, that's what your book is about. Exactly. That's, this is we the have, story. We have to give testimony. We have to stand up. We have to point the finger at those who accuse, you know, who, who are evil-minded, who don't have goodness in their heart, uh, who interpret religion their own way. Right. Because all religions are, are, are have a, a basis of goodness. And But what has happened is that it's been thwarted, it's been misused, so that we don't even know what the truth is anymore. The only way that we know the truth is in our heart. And we have to have the... Um, the, the, we we have to be able to love people. I think we have to first of all love ourselves. Right. Right. A, few, a lot of people don't. Right. And so, if we love ourselves, I think we can love others. Thank you so well much. Well said. Thank you for doing the book. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Thank Pleasure you for being, being on Connor's Corner. Thank you. You're lovely. <laughs> Whether you need help with drafting a will or trust, power of attorney, health care proxy, living will, or protecting your assets from nursing home costs, Connors & Sullivan's goal is always the protection of your rights and interests. The professionals at Connors & Sullivan have been helping people like you plan their estates and protect their families for over 30 years. I'm Mike Connors. Come to our office for a free initial consultation. Talk with me or one of our experienced attorneys to see how we can help you protect your family, your assets, and your legacy. There is no one strategy that fits everyone, but the biggest mistake when it comes to estate planning is no planning at all. Call Connors & Sullivan Attorneys at Law today to schedule a free initial consultation with an attorney at any of their convenient locations in Brooklyn, Midtown Manhattan, Queens, and Staten Island. 718-238-6500. That's 718-238-6500. Or visit their website, connorsandsullivan.com. We all know someone who's been touched by cancer. It's the second leading cause of death. And it took the life of my father, John Wayne. But even in his final days, he was thinking about helping others and publicly campaigning to raise awareness about cancer. 
His courage and grit inspired our family to do everything we could to fight the big C, as my dad called it. So we did something about it and founded the John Wayne Cancer Institute 35 years ago to advance life-saving research. Our discoveries are fundamentally changing the way cancer is treated around the world. Cures are within our reach, but we can't do it alone. I'm Patrick Wayne, and I'd be honored if you joined us in the fight against cancer. You can make a lasting legacy by helping to eradicate this deadly disease. Together, we can save lives. To learn more, visit jwcigiving.org. That's jwcigiving.org. Welcome back to Ask the Lawyer with Mike Connors. Welcome back to Ask the Lawyer with me, Mike Connors, accompanied by my wife, Beth. Hi, everybody. Again, we had two great guests on this week. And if you want to hear the podcast, um, Chris Cordani, how do they do that? And, and number two, I ask this question every other week or so, but how, do they, how does the audience like us on Facebook? How do they follow the show? First, if you want to hear the show again, it's easy to find on our website, askmikethelawyer.com. That's askmikethelawyer.com. You'll find a podcast page, all the podcasts uh, from when you move to AM 970, The Answer, and AM 570 slash FM 1023, The Mission, is uh, right on that page. Check it out. You can find our Facebook page right there, too. It's Ask the Lawyer, Connor's Corners Conversations. Well, that's the YouTube channel. <laughs> Ask the <laughs> It's Ask the Lawyer, the uh radio program you can just uh, hit the like button and like that if it says liked already where the like button should be that means you already liked it so don't hit that again you might unlike it okay very good and you're talking about youtube i was surprised when i went on youtube a couple of weeks ago and i see all these interviews up there i didn't even know some of them were on there but we got our you know our good buddy ron hunt our good buddy ed bars and you know even Pete, patrick wayne another good buddy how do, how do you access the youtube channel and listen to our interviews that's Ask the Lawyer Connor's Corner Conversations on YouTube. Ask the Lawyer Connor's Corner Conversations. Okay, now if we get on there, can we hear questions about laws in Puerto Rico? You might not. You might have to go to the podcast for that. We put the classic interviews on there. You can hear the whole podcast on AskMikeTheLawyer.com. But definitely the classic interviews with uh, with some of your big stars like uh, Hugh O'Brien, even uh, even old spies like Jack Barsky, people like that. You can find really KGB agent. excellent interviews on there. <laughs> All right. <laughs> One of the best parts, I think, about doing my job is that every every day, every week, I run into people with fantastic stories. Mindy came in with this story a couple of months ago. She has this book, and, and I thought it would be worth, we worth talking about the book in front of the audience. It's amazing the stories like when you hear about some people who saved other people's lives. Because, you know, when she's talking about that priest who's hiding her, he was at the edge of being shot. Right. You know, if it was a different German officer, if it was those right. nuns, what she calls her three sisters. Right. Her tantas. You know, it's an amazing story. And it's also amazing the brutality of, in of my, the Nazi regime. In my heart, I really believe they're more good people than bad. But you have these bad bullies, it seems like, every generation, every, but they take over. And, um, you know, thank, thank goodness. For, it wasn't just one person that helped her survive the war. It was several different people at different times. And it's good to hear about the good people, too, sometimes. 
Now, you wanted to bring up my grandfather. My grandfather was born, well, my German grandfather, obviously, was from Germany. And he was a carpenter. He was a World War I veteran. And he was opposed to the Nazis in Bavaria in the 1930s. And he was told to get out because he did business with gypsies. And, of course, gypsies were in the same class as, as Jews back in right. Nazi Germany or whatever. So he was persona non grata. And he was religious. As a Catholic, he wasn't welcome either. So... um Two by two, they sent the two oldest children over here. They got jobs, and the next year, two, the next two came over. And then finally, your grandparents and the youngest came over. And um, they escaped, but, I mean, uh, your mother would talk about, at the end of the war, how they would try to help the survivors, you know, by buying paintings or, I mean, it's just tragic. The good people that caught get caught up when the bad people take over. And, you know, as Mindy said, it could happen here. You know, we have it, to be on our It our could guard. happen here. Just, That's right. Just like Sebastian Gorka was telling us last week, we got to be on our guard. we got to fight for our freedom. Freedom is not free. It's not. All right. Well, I think David Kincaid is telling us to wrap up on hollowed ground. And we are on hollowed ground here because we're right next to... Trinity Church in Lower Manhattan, next to the Trinity Church graveyard, which houses the body of one of our great heroes, Alexander, Alexander Hamilton. Hamilton. Take care, everybody. Bye bye. We are gathered here on hallowed ground, the voices raised, heads bowed down. We're gathered here on hallowed ground to sing this soul away. We are gathered, we are gathered here on hallowed ground, the voices raised, heads bowed down. We're gathered here on hallowed ground to sing this soul away. How can I protect my family if something happens to me? What if I need to go to a nursing home? What will happen to our savings, our home? What's the best way to give my home to my kids? Who will help us take care of Grandpa? These and many other questions can be answered with a phone call to Connors & Sullivan Attorneys at Law, PLLC, 718-238-6500. Mike Connors, one of New York Magazine's top lawyers, has over 30 years of estate planning and elder law experience. Mike and his team of professionals will help you protect your assets from probate, taxes, and nursing home costs so you can have peace of mind knowing you and your family will be taken care of and protected. I'm Mike Connors, founder of Connors & Sullivan. People don't plan to fail, they fail to plan. The time to plan is now. I'm Beth Connors. Call today for a free initial consultation with one of our experienced lawyers. Connors and Sullivan in Brooklyn, Queens, Manhattan, and Staten Island. Call 718-238-6500. 718-238-6500 or connorsandsullivan.com. The preceding pre-recorded program paid for by Connors and Sullivan Attorneys at Law, PLLC.